Welcome to Global Answers. Please join us as we discuss the relevance of God's eternal word relating to events in this day and what it means to you. And now, your hosts, Jeff and Lonnie Jenkins. Hi, I'm Lonnie. Nice to be back with you again. Welcome, friends. And if you recall, we left you referring to the four kingdoms, political powers, the fourth one being a mystery. And uh, you might remember that I challenged you to love your Bible, to get into the Word of God. Uh, the Bible is God in print form. Jesus was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that, that Word was Jesus. And so, love Jesus. Get into His Word. So, study the Bible. And that's what we're all about here in this broadcast, is we're wanting to challenge your thinking, to get you to run deeper into the Scriptures. We appreciate your pastors. We appreciate the church that you go to. God bless them and support your pastor with all your heart, with your tithes, with your amens and the Word of God. But by all means, become Bible-centered believers. Get into the Bible. Now, we want Brother Lonnie to go ahead and elaborate on that fourth mystery kingdom a little bit more. Uh, I, I know you're going to enjoy this. He's referring to the two unclean women in the book of Revelations, chapter 17. So, Brother Lonnie, I'd just like you to pick up right there where we left off. Uh, picking up where we left off, we, had, we were talking about the two women's in Revelations chapter 17 in verse 1, it talks about a great whore that sits upon many waters. And then in verse 5, it said that this great whore had harlot daughters. And then we, we were bringing out the point last time that natural and spiritual go hand in hand. So any little girl, when she's born, she's clean, she's virgin, she's mm -hmm. pure. But it's what she grows up to become that would make her a whore or a harlot. So there's, and then uh, Jeff brought out on that subject then, well, since we're talking about churches, then certainly each movement starts out like the little virgin girl, clean, pure, holy. And that's exactly right. And then there's something that they do that God says, now you're becoming a whore, now mm. you become a harlot. And this... This something that they do is going to maybe make many of you turn off your television sets. But this something that they do is they place the church under the headship of some man somewhere beyond the local pastor. In the scripture, we find the elder is the head of the church. And there may be more than one elder, but one of those elders would be a called man called to the fivefold ministry as a pastor. He must meet all the qualifications of an elder, but he's also called to be a pastor, a gifted man. And then that's the highest office in the local church. It may not be the highest office in the fivefold ministry. I would guess that the apostle probably is the highest among the fivefold ministry, but he's a traveling man. He's spreading the gospel. He's like a missionary. But in the local church, it's the pastor. He's the highest office and there should be no one over that man, no district presbyter, no archbishop, no whatever. And we find that one of the first churches that organized was the Church of Rome and they set up their hierarchy. And then we move on down and, and when Luther came out of the, in the Dark Ages and protested the Roman Church, they still ended up doing the same thing that the Roman church had done, which was mm. to organize. Yes. 
and place themselves under the headship of man. And so then that's what God says. Why? Because they've taken another husband because Jesus Christ is to be the husband of the church. And once they've taken another husband, then God says, now nah, you're, you're unclean to me. Oh my. Because they're under the dictates then not of directly of Christ the word, but rather some man in between there. So that's why they become harlots at that point. Exactly right, according mm -hmm. to scriptural basis. And again, like we mentioned last time, we're not, we're not against the people in the systems, but the system always holds the people back because they build their, their this is what we believe creed around what their founders taught, but God is continually unfolding his word. As we've started in this series, we're trying to show you that certain things were sealed to the time of the end. So therefore, if, it, if, if what is opened at the time of the end goes beyond tradition in a church, most churches will reject it. Well, we, don't, we don't believe it that way. But that's what the Jews said when the Word was made flesh and dwelt mm -hmm. among them in Jesus. Uh, this is not according to our tradition. We are followers of Moses. And now here the Gentile church is doing the very same thing that the Jewish church did in refusing to move when God unveils more of His Word, more of His light, by bringing it to pass. There's a hesitancy to move on with it for fear of moving into false doctrine or for fear of stepping out of tradition. And so God is calling a people to not be in anything that would hinder them from moving with the unveiling of the Word of God, or as they did in the Old Testament, follow the pillar of fire. When it moves, move with it. So that's, our, that's, that's where we, I'm going to kind of wrap it up at that. And we found out that this final church, uh, to remind you now, this final church that's called the Great Whore, in, in Revelation 17, 1, sits upon many waters, which we, which we found in verse 15 was multitudes of people. So this church rules over nations and kings and multitudes. And it says, verse 18, says that this woman that thou sawest is a great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So we have a church that rules over people all over the world, various people in various nations, has authority over kings, and is a city. And I would say that's pretty well self-explanatory. We needn't go much further on that. But Jeff, you were talking to me about how that this reminded you out of something that Paul wrote in Corinthians. And I yes. thought that was a very good thought. I want to go into that. You said something, and I'm going to spring over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So while I'm talking for just a moment, you can turn your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I, while Brother Lonnie was speaking, I remembered a personal story that Lonnie had mentioned to me. And I wouldn't mind if he wouldn't mind relating that story to you. It's a story about, that took place, I believe, in 1966. And I believe it characterizes the unfortunate fallacy of the man-made system uh, with regard to any church. We're not going to name the church because that doesn't matter. Um, but it was a case in point where that the hierarchy outside the local assembly swooped in and said, we either demand a change in pastor or a change in program. Because what was happening was the pastor was seeing more truth out of his Bible, but it was truth that their church head, that the heads of those church, the church founders, did not endorse this doctrine. And this man had to leave his uh, pastorate because God is revealing more truth to him. Would you mind elaborating on that? Because I believe it's a classic example 
uh, perhaps what is happening all over the nation and perhaps all over the world. Well, it's, uh, Jeff, it's not only happening to in the systems, but the personal experience that I'd like to relate to you that Jeff asked me about, uh, many of you will, will have gone through the very same thing or something similar. I had found that the church I had grown up in, when I began to get seriously hungry for more of God, I found that the church I had grown up in just couldn't take me on. They had taken me as far as they could, but I was hungering for more, and I had no idea where to go for more truth. So I kind of started bouncing from church to church. And in, in the bouncing, I went into this one church and talked to the pastor there and told him what I was hungering for. And to my, at that stage of my <laughs> life, to my utter amazement, he said, I'm looking for the same thing. My. Well, at that time, I always thought that every preacher had God by the coattail and that there was no problem between him and God. After all, he was a preacher. But I found out he was hungering for the same thing I was hungering for in that deeper walk with God. Mm -hmm. So we struck up a friendship over that. And I started then, I would come back and visit him. But I was going out and visiting various churches trying to find this, this more truth, more life that I was looking for. And... Um, I got into Pentecostal circles. This is back in the early 1960s. I got into Pentecostal circles and they began to talk about a baptism of the Holy Ghost and gifts of the Spirit and divine healing, all of which the church I had grown up in denied all those things and said that was for another day. Those things didn't happen anymore. But it somehow wrung a spark, a little truth in me. And I had a tremendous experience in one of those churches. And I would come back and share with this pastor that I had met that wanted more truth like I did. And I would share with him what I was finding. And after a while, he told me, he says, I can see you've got a hold of something. You're changing. And of course, I was glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. I was glad that, that something was changing me because I wasn't happy with me the way I was. And so this change was taking place. And so I began to share with him some of the truths. And after a while, he says, let's start holding Sunday night meetings. We don't normally hold Sunday night meetings in our church. And he says, you can share with the people about your testimony, what you're finding. And he says, and I'll place it in the scripture. And so we started teaching in this, uh, we'll call it nominal church, uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost and divine healing. And the gifts of the Spirit began to rise up in the church. And people were speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, prophesying, seeing, seeing visions. Oh, it was wonderful. And uh, I'd never experienced anything like this. So this was, oh my, this is God to me. And then the first thing we know, there was the, uh, I think it was the trustees and deacons had a meeting and they called us in and, and began to say, you know, these are not teachings that normally come forth in this kind of church. I'm just hesitating naming the denomination that would come forth in this kind of church. And I opened my Bible at this meeting and I set it out. But I said, but, but brothers, here's, here it is right here in scripture. Mm -hmm. And I remember the man next to me, he turned his shoulder away from me and he says, he says, we're talking about, and there was a pile of church constitution papers in the middle. And he says, we're standing on church constitution. That's what we're talking about here. Mm. And of course, so he was going back to the tradition of what that church was originally built on. But God had revealed more. Wasn't interested. They wanted what the church was built on, My. period. So nevertheless, things didn't change. They changed somewhat there. And then the next thing I knew, we were, because I had become friends with the pastor, he and I were then together were invited 
to this ministerial association in this part of California where I was at the time. And this denominations ministerial association for all that area wanted to talk to these two people that were talking about divine healing and the powers of God in the church. And uh, so we went in, they were nice and cordial. And so we talked about divine healing being in the Bible and reviewed the scriptures with them. And one of the pastors says, but what if I pray for that person and they don't get healed? What can I say? I said, that's not your responsibility. I said, your responsibility is preach the word and believe the word because it's God's word. Right. And so we went on other points in that same way. And then finally the lead man spoke up and he says, well, that's more Pentecostal type teaching and we're not Pentecostals, we are blank, blank. And so he says, we kind of stay away from that. I says, but don't you believe the whole Bible? Oh, yes, but we don't emphasize that part. But what it really was is they didn't believe that part. Mm. And so, so they weren't about to embrace it because their founder didn't embrace it. And so there they were. They were locked into the glow of the truth that was the truth in a previous age. God had now unveiled more and they absolutely refused to move with it. And that's the error, like we've talked yeah. about, of organization. They, they all get locked into that. That's, uh, that's where, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's just pick up the, with that same scenario that uh, Lonnie was just talking about with uh, his pastor friend who he had uh, befriended over uh, a common desire to find more of God. Second Corinthians. And it's, uh, I said 1 Corinthians, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And it says here, Paul is referring back to something that happened in the Garden of Eden. We know it as the fall. The fall is simply, we call it the fall, it's because it was man falling from God, falling from the Word, falling from the will of God. So man was in a fallen state, and Paul is picking up on that, but he's referring now to the fall, to the church in Corinth. He's saying, Church, don't do the same thing that Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Eve, through the subtlety of the serpent, fell by reasoning away from the perfect will, away from the Word of God. So watch what can happen when we fall away from the Word of God. It's very interesting. Would to God, you could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin. That's what ah, Brother Lonnie's been talking about. Right. So chaste a, virgin a, versus harlots. There you go. Right. A virgin church versus a, a church that's received seed that doesn't come from God. So Paul is saying I that Eve was presented to Adam as a chaste virgin. Something happened. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent seduced or beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Very smart, very wise, very subtle. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, first of all, let me say, is simple. A child need not err in the way. A fool need not err in the way. The gospel will always be simple. Man makes it complicated, but the gospel is always simple. Now, it goes on to say, now watch this. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. Okay, you mean, can there be another Jesus? You can preach a false Jesus. In other words, if I preach misconception out of the word of God, that's another Jesus. 
or if I preach a Jesus of another age and I refuse to move on with what God is doing, I'm putting Jesus into a historical context and he's more than a God of history. He's very much alive and vibrant and moving in his church today, saving souls today, healing the sick today, opening blind eyes today, doing everything that he's always done through the ages. May I interject yeah. here? Uh, because it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, John 1, 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Mm -hmm. The word, the Greek word there for the Word was made flesh is logos. Mm -hmm. The logos was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so you were mentioning if somebody preaches a Jesus of another age or a false doctrine that is another Jesus. So the Word was made flesh, which was the logos, and the Greek meaning of the Word, mm -hmm. of logos, is the Word with God's thought included. Mm. And so if the Word, Jesus, is made flesh, but the Word is misinterpreted, mm -hmm. it's no longer Logos, so it's no longer Jesus, so it's another Jesus, the very same thing you're Incredible. talking about here. Just, just exactly. I just wanted to yes. expound on that just a little bit. Go so right ahead. in reality, they hear, this, they're reading from the same Bible, yeah. but the concept or the true depth of the meaning of what that really means, that's what they're missing. They miss the Logos, miss the, the logos. thought behind what God is trying to say. Correct. In other words, they get maybe perhaps, as I think it was Paul said, that the, 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 the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Amen. It edifies, love edifies. So there's a letter of the word that can destroy or a, a, an interpretation of the Bible without the spirit. And this is what Paul is dealing with in the church of Corinth. What was Paul preaching? Well, he was preaching grace. Who was coming in behind Paul? The, the, the concision, those of the circumcision. The Jews were saying, you Gentiles have to be circumcised just like we do. So those were formerly Jewish people that had been converted to Christianity, but were still bringing over some of Moses' law. And so with that, they were saying, you Gentiles have to be circumcised also. So Paul said, wait a minute, you're saved by faith and faith alone in the word and in the, in the finished work on Calvary and what Jesus did. Now watch what Paul goes on to say, because what happens here in 2 Corinthians 11 happens every day in the lives of thousands of people across the world. It says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent, Satan, beguiled Eve through his wisdom, his subtility, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit. Interesting. What goes along with another Jesus or a misconception of who Jesus is? A false spirit, a wrong spirit. So here we see another Jesus. They receive then another spirit. I wonder what spirit they receive. Is it a man's? Do, do they stop short of receiving the Holy Spirit and get, out, get underneath a man's spirit? When they need to go on into the Holy Spirit and receive Christ himself. Many people stop at their church, stop at their good pastor. Even their pastor would say, don't stop at me, go all the way into Christ. Don't hide behind a pew. Don't hide behind uh, a, a church or even a good church or, or a system. Find Jesus personally. He is life. Meet Jesus. Meet the man. Meet the person. And he is the word. And so Paul is saying that a person can receive another Jesus, another spirit. And it goes on to say, it goes on to say, which you have not received or another gospel. So we have to admit that there are true churches 
and there are false churches. There is a true Jesus, and then being preached is a false Jesus. With that false Jesus is a false spirit. That's what Eve got under in Genesis. She listened to the lie of the devil, the serpent, which said to her, surely you will not die. The serpent was taking, perhaps, Brother Lonnie, it might have taken a month. It might have taken a year. It might have been taken 10 or maybe even 50 years. We don't know. But we know that Eve was communicating with this upright being called a serpent. And she was talking with him and he with her. And he seduced her thinking. She partook of the tree that she was forbidden not to and gave to her husband. Thus began the fall of mankind. Thus began the fall away from God's will, away from God's word. And we know this, and theologians know this as the original sin. Right. In reading here about, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In, in spiritual sense, the mind is like the womb of the spirit mm -hmm. and whatever seed and remember God calls his word a seed and so a man's words are also seeds mm. and Genesis 1:11 says every seed will bring forth of its own kind so that which we allow to get planted in our thinking is going to produce a crop mm. James uh, tells us in the book of James about a seed conceiving in your thinking and just, just take it kind of natural for just a moment. If I, if I allow uh, revengeful thoughts to hold in my mind a while, and I think on them, pretty soon the adrenaline's flowing, and I'm ready to punch somebody in the nose. Why? Just because I held on to a wrong thought. Mm. So a thought has power. And so religious thoughts can produce religious people. But it's, we're not wanting to be religious people. We're wanting to be... Christians, hmm. and that's, Christianity is not a bunch of government, it's not a religion, it's the life of Christ himself living through a people. That's Christians, that's Christians. And Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and life, and that's the spirit we want. When God, Jesus, reveals the word to us, and that's planted in the mind, the womb, and then it's going to bring forth Christ in the individual. And uh, that's what we all want. So here in Genesis, they had, uh, God said, I have in this garden all variety of trees and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And God would come down in the cool of the day and fellowship with Adam and Eve. And God would preach them a sermon, speak with them, fellowship with them. And we could say that the first church was established in Eden. And it was God with his offspring, Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam was made in the very image and likeness of God. Let us make man in our image. And remember, Adam in Adam was Eve. And then eventually Eve was taken out of Adam and they were two. And yet they were called to become one flesh. And so these two formed a church, and God was their pastor. God was their father. And we have maybe perhaps the first home church, the first church. Satan came in under the garden wall. And we have recorded in Genesis the first church split, another Jesus. He didn't say there was no God. He didn't say there was uh, no reality to what God said. He says, surely God doth know that if you partake of this tree, 
you'll be as gods knowing good and evil. The intentions of what Eve wanted perhaps were pure, more knowledge that would make her more like God. But she partook of the tree that God forbid that she should take, partake of. Thus ensued the fall. The fall is an incredible, incredible story about perhaps we could call it the seeds of everything that's in, in humanity today. Genesis means the gene or seed chapter. It's the beginning of everything good and evil. Uh, God's good and right creation was in Genesis. The evil of the fall, the first murder was in Genesis. Polygamy was introduced in Genesis. Everything began in Genesis. I don't know that we'd have time to go through it, but I, I think I mentioned once in a previous program about uh, how that in the, in the Schofield Bible, which I happen to use the Schofield Bible, how that uh, Dr. Schofield points out about election and predestination, and I'd like to uh, read, read his comments. I believe it's in 1 Peter, if I remember correctly here. At, uh, and it's in First uh, Peter 1, verse 2, it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And then he has a footnote off of number one. And I'm not saying this as an absolute, his footnote. So I'm, what I'm getting at is that there's a, there's a truth here that he's probing at. It says, in both Testaments, the Hebrew and Greek words are rendered elect, election, choose, chosen. In all cases, they mean simply chosen or to choose and are used of both human and divine choices. In the latter use of election, a corporate as of the nation of Israel or the church, or as an individual, as right above here, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Election is according to the foreknowledge of God, holy of grace, apart from human merit. Election proceeds from the divine volition. Election is, therefore, the sovereign act of God in grace, whereby certain are chosen from among mankind for himself. The sovereign act of God, whereby certain elect persons are chosen for distinctive service for him. So there's the statement of Dr. Schofield, and he says, nowhere does it state what is the divine election. How does he do it? But that's one of the mysteries that's been unveiled here at the end time. So in our next program, we're going to go into that. How does God predestinate? On what basis does he elect? And I think that's going to be a great time for us to get together and open to you the scriptures. You want to say anything to the people, it Jeff? It starts in Genesis, as you're going to see. goes all the way to Revelations. Why did he choose, why did he choose uh, Seth? Why did he not choose Cain? We're going to find out with predestination. To order a DVD of today's program entitled Mysteries of the Kingdom, write to this address or visit us on the web at globalanswers.us. Thank you for joining us and may our Lord